and welcome to our evening service. We're thrilled that you can join us uh, as we worship God together. Uh, before I begin, just a reminder to our young people uh, that we have a meeting after this evening service at 7.15 p.m. So you have time to grab a drink or something to eat after church. You can bring it with you if you want, uh, and then you can join us uh, together as we meet. Uh, but for now, we're going to turn our attention to praising the Lord Jesus Christ, our King. In a moment, we're going to sing to him, uh, sing his praises. Uh, and after we have sung, uh, there will be a, a video just to get us thinking uh, about the theme of, of Jesus Christ being King and our response to him. But first of all, let's sing together, Blessing and Honour.
We're going to be thinking tonight about the authority that Jesus has as king over all of our lives and every area of our lives. And we're going to think about how we respond in the right way to that authority that he has. In the Bible, there was a man called John the Baptist. He was a herald of this king. Before uh, Jesus began his ministry, John was speaking of him coming. He told people that Jesus was coming and he told them what they needed to do. And in our Bible reading tonight, we're going to see how John pointed out that Jesus is this king, God's Messiah, who has come to save us from our sins. If you have a Bible with you, uh, you would find it helpful to follow along by turning to John chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 19 to 45. If you haven't got a Bible, that's okay. Uh, Just listen along as Hilda reads that passage to us. John 1, starting at verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is God's chosen one. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. 
Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. We're going uh, to pray now. Uh, and as we pray, we're going to have just a time of, of quiet uh, during our prayer so that we can pray for others that we know uh, and name them to God that they would also, like people in the passage we've just read, would recognize Jesus as the Messiah who will save them from their sins. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that John pointed to your son and declared, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you that Jesus Christ is the King who has come to save us from our sins. We thank you that you have saved us through the death of your Son on the cross. We confess our need of your forgiveness, and we trust that we can be forgiven and given new life because of his work. But as we thank you for our salvation, we also pray for many others, that they also would see Jesus like John did and recognize him as King and Savior. In these days where death is on so many people's minds, would you turn people's eyes to the one who has conquered death? Please, Lord, would you save? We pray for our friends, our family members, work colleagues who are not Christians. Please change their hearts. We take the time now in the quiet of our own hearts or uh, naming them out loud, people who we know and love, who we want to see come to know you. We pray for them now. Mighty God, the God who saves, we cry out for their souls and we pray you would work the miracle of salvation in their lives. And we ask this in the Savior's name. Amen.
But if you have a Bible with you, uh, please turn to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, It'd be helpful to have that open so you can follow along uh, with what I'm about to be saying. Uh, We're going to look this evening from verses 23 down to verse 32. I want you to imagine something with me to start with. Uh, Imagine that you uh, are walking down the street, maybe down uh, to a local uh, shop or something like that, and you're carrying a bag with you. Maybe you've got a a handbag or a backpack or um, some kind of pouch. Uh, And in there, you've got your keys and your money and your phone and some ID and all of your kind of personal effects that you take with you. And someone comes up to you and they say, I want to see in your bag, please. Can you empty it out and and show me what's there? How would you respond if someone came up to you in the street and did that? Well, you'd probably uh, either run away. It might depend on what they look like and the tone of their voice. Uh, you, You might ask them, who do you think you are? You might ask them why they want to open your bag. But most of us wouldn't just hand our bag over and say, there you go, why don't you have a rifle through it? In the summer, uh, my family went on holiday and we uh, went on an aeroplane. So we went to the airport. And when we were at the airport, somebody came to us and said, can we please go through your bags? We want you to empty out all of it in front of us so we can see what is in there. And all of the five of us in my family willingly uh, emptied our bags and showed this person what was in our bag. What is the difference between those two scenarios? The man or woman in the street that is asking us to open our bag or the man or the woman at the airport that is asking us to open our bag? The difference, of course, is that at the airport, it was the security official who was asking us to go through our bag. It was the person who had the authority. When you recognize the authority of somebody, you know how to rightly respond to that authority. And that's the theme of this section of Matthew's gospel that we're looking at tonight. Last week, Jesus had entered Jerusalem and he made some pretty audacious statements He was relatively unknown in that city, and he makes this amazing entrance. He comes in on a donkey with people praising him with hosannas, which means, Lord, save us. And the donkey and the hosannas are from the Old Testament of the Bible. They are what God's king would do. And so Jesus, as he's coming into Jerusalem, is declaring, making a statement I am God's king who has come to save his people from their sins. And then he enters into the temple courts. And in anger, he turns over the temple tables of the money changers and those that were selling doves. Again, he's making this statement. I am the king who is going to judge the people who are misusing the temple. And when he heals the lame and the blind and he accepts the praise of the children, Jesus is saying, I'm going to restore this temple to what it really should be. In all of these things, Jesus is declaring, I am God's king. 
I have God's authority. And this is the big theme of Matthew's gospel. Matthew was a a follower of Jesus who is writing a historical account of the life of Christ to show us that he really is God's promised king, his Messiah, who would come to save us from our sins. That means he has come to bring us forgiveness for all that we have done wrong and to bring us into a relationship with God so that we can escape the judgment of God for our sin. But the problem with Jesus bounding into Jerusalem in this way, declaring that he is their king, was that there were already leaders in Jerusalem who had authority over people's lives. They looked at Jesus' statements and they felt threatened. Who do you think you are making these kind of statements? They saw Jesus like we would see the man or woman in the street who is just randomly asking us to open our bags. And so they asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? Well, let's see how that conversation goes as we read Matthew 21, 23 to 32. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness. And you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. This is God's word. Well, the first section here from verses 23 to 27, see the religious leaders question where Jesus gets his authority from. And it appears at first sight, that he doesn't answer them. But he does. He answers it by the question he asks them. 
he shows them that they should rightly recognize Jesus's authority. In verse 23, uh, Jesus is there teaching in the temple. Uh, The temple was the center of religious life for the Jewish people, and it would have been packed with people who had traveled up uh, to celebrate the Passover festival, which was coming up that very week. And if Jesus was going to be teaching about God and his kingdom, it was natural that he would go to the temple, the center of their religious life, to teach there. But as Jesus was teaching, we read that the the chief priests and the elders, they, they come to him. Now, the chief priests were the religious leaders of the people, and the elders were the civil leaders of the people. They are the ones who have authority there. And they have two questions for Jesus. Notice them uh, in verse 23. By what authority are you doing these things? So that's question one. And who gave you this authority? Which is question two. Uh, By uh, these things, what they mean are the events of the previous day, the the coming in on the donkey and the, the turning over of the temple, Uh, of the tables in the temple, uh, and also, no doubt, the the authority to teach as he is doing here. Now, that's not a bad question to ask, actually, is it really? I mean, I have authority to teach here in this church, which has been given to me by the members of this church. If someone was just to come uh, through the doors and stand here and and start broadcasting and teaching from here and and we didn't know who they were, we would want to know, well, what gives you the authority to, to teach here? Who are you? We want to know you. That isn't wrong. It's, it's quite right that we, we do that. The questions aren't wrong, but we're going to see that their whole attitude is wrong. They are not trying here to get Jesus to show them some kind of certification so that he could just carry on. They see Jesus' authority, authority that he is saying he has, as a threat to their own authority. And so Jesus replies by asking them a question. Answering a question with the question was and is a common way of answering in such a way as to get you to think And actually gives them the answer that they are asking for. Look at the question Jesus asked them in verse 25. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? When Jesus says John's baptism, what he's meaning is the whole ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a man uh, who by this point had died. King Herod had killed him. But he was a prophet who we met earlier on in Matthew's gospel. Uh, And we met him also in our Bible reading from John's gospel. Uh, He was a prophet who lived in the wilderness. And he was known for his fiery preaching and for his baptizing people by immersing them in water. He preached calling people to repentance. Repentance means a turning away, a changing of mind, turning from sin towards God. 
A change of mind that results in a change of behavior. Turning from sin to God and following him. And John called people to repent and then show their commitment by being baptized in water, which showed their death to their old life and being risen to a new life where they have died to their sin and are now committed to following God as their king. And John uh, had people flocking to the wilderness to hear him preach, to hear him ask people to repent because the king that God was going to send to save them was coming. He was known as a prophet of God. But he was not liked by the religious leaders. Listen to what he said about them in Matthew chapter 3. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Pharisees and Sadducees are religious leaders, just like the chief priests and the elders. And like them, they, they are coming to, to John to see who he is, to check him out. They were not interested in repentance. They thought they were good enough already for God. But John calls them a brood of vipers. You do need to repent, John was telling them. So John preaches about repentance and he baptizes, but also and most significantly of all, John pointed the way to Jesus. He was preaching this way because he knew that God's king was coming. John was called a forerunner, someone who, who led the way to Jesus. And John said this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In John's gospel, we read the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me. Because, because he was before me. Now John was a great man. He a great preacher. Uh, he impacted the lives of many, many people. But he was not the promised king. He pointed to Jesus and he declared him to be the Messiah. And he even had his own followers leave him and go and follow Jesus. And when he was asked about this, why do you think this is okay? John said, he must become greater, I must become less. He pointed to Jesus and declared him as king. But the religious leaders were the opposite to this. They wanted Jesus to become less so they could become greater. And so notice how Jesus' question puts them in a, in a dilemma. Notice the, the almost comical way that they get into their little huddle and discuss among themselves in verse 25. If they say that John's baptism was from heaven, which means it has the authority from God, then they would lose all credibility because they did not believe 
in what John was doing and saying. But if they were to say that John's baptism was of human origin, well, they'd be in danger because well, the, the people recognized John as a, a prophet. And because of their pride on losing credibility and their cowardice, they were scared of the people, they cop out by saying in verse 27, we don't know. Isn't that just pathetic? These, these leaders of the people, they don't even know where John the Baptist's authority comes from? Well, Jesus' answer to their question really was that his authority comes from the same place as John's. It's God's authority. If John comes from God, and John's saying Jesus is greater than I am, he is the Messiah, well, there's only one place that Jesus' authority can come from. It can come, only come from God. And really, the religious leaders say they don't know, but they do know. They know Jesus' authority, but they refuse, because of their pride and their cowardice, to submit to it. And so Jesus says, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. He's not avoiding answering their question. He has answered it. But he is refusing to indulge their pride. Now, for most of us, our natural response to authority is to reject it. We want to go our own way. Even uh, at the airport, when someone's asking to go through our bag, we don't really want to give them our bag. At least I don't. Not that I have anything to hide. I just don't want to, I don't want to give my bag over. It's mine. And many people, and maybe you're included in this, have some really great questions about the Christian faith. Questions like, where does this authority come from? But often the questions that are being asked mask what the real problem is. Pride and cowardice. The religious leaders here, they, they weren't interested really, in the answer to their question. They just wanted Jesus out of the way so they could continue to rule over their people. You know, most people do not reject Jesus because of lack of evidence. In the Gospels, the religious leaders never reject Jesus because of lack of evidence. In fact, Jesus performs miracles over and over and over again. And the authorities never, ever, not once, question whether those things really happened. Even, and we'll see this later in Matthew's Gospel when we get there, even when Jesus rises from the dead, rather than say, no, he didn't, they make up, they, 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 they make up a story of lies to make people think it didn't really happen. They never deny that it really did. It wasn't lack of evidence that made them reject Jesus' claims. It was lack of humility. And that is the same for many people today. Many people today do not reject Jesus because there's no evidence. They reject Jesus because they refuse to submit to his authority. They refuse to make way for him to be king over their lives. It's summed up in... 
uh, certain phrases that are famous, uh, like the, the end of the poem Invictus. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Or in the Frank Sinatra song, I'll do it my way. I've talked to a number of people who appear at first to have great questions about the Christian faith, but they are not really interested in the answers that God's word gives. They are masking their pride. And it's important to be aware of this as Christians when we're sharing our faith. Don't pray only that your answers are really good. Pray that their hearts become really soft. You know, God can use really fumbling answers to questions on the Christian faith if their hearts are softened to receiving Jesus Christ. And if you're watching this uh, tonight and you are not a Christian, can I be so bold as to ask you this? Is your rejection of Jesus really about a lack of evidence of some kind? Or is your rejection more because you have a problem that you refuse to submit to his authority over your life? In Matthew's gospel, we have seen through the words and the works of Jesus all the evidence we need to see that he is God's king with God's authority. These things that the religious leaders were asking about cry out, he is Lord, he is king, he has authority. And like at the airport, if we know the authority of the person, we know how to respond. And if we know that Jesus is king, we rightly recognize his authority, then we will rightly respond to his authority. And the response to authority is the point of this little parable in verses 28 to 32. So Jesus says in verse 28, what do you think? In other words, he's saying, I'm going to give you something to think about here, guys. And he gives an illustration. An illustration of a father who is a figure of authority asking his sons to go and work in a vineyard. Now, a vineyard was a common way in the Bible of referring to Israel. And next week, when we look at the the next parable in Matthew's Gospel, we're going to see that more clearly. Now, we're not perhaps uh, familiar with working in a vineyard, but this parable also works if you think of it as chores in our house. So imagine here being called to do the dishes. Uh, Some of you may uh, remember Uh, Being teenagers or maybe teenagers now and have been asked to do uh, jobs around the house, like the dishes, And, and and you might respond like one of these two sons in the parable. And there are two responses here to being asked to work, and the first is in verse 29. This is the response of, no, I will not. This was often uh, my first response when I was a teenager to being asked to do the dishes, My parents would say, it's your turn to do the dishes. And I would say, I'm not doing it. Why should I? It's not fair. None of my friends have to do chores around the house. They all get to do whatever they want all the time. And I might storm up to my room and slam the door. But eventually, when I'd calm down, I would come down and I'd do the dishes. I didn't really have much choice. I had to do them. 
But like the first son, at first I said no. But the second son is in verse 30. He says, yeah, of course I will. But he doesn't do it. He says he will, but doesn't. Perhaps when he's being called to do the dishes, he's, he's playing on his phone and he says, yeah, 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 I'll be there in a minute. And you, the parent goes up again and says, come on, you said you'd do the dishes. Yeah, I'll, I'll be there in a minute. But nothing happens. And you know, although they're saying, yes, I'll do it, they're not really listening to what you're saying. The dishes are never going to get done. So one son is asked to go and work in the vineyard and says no, but then goes and does it. And the other son is asked to go and work in the vineyard and says, yeah, I'll do it, but doesn't do it. And so uh, Jesus asks in verse 31, which of the two did what his father wanted? Well, of course, the answer is the first son did. The first son who said no at first, but did it, did what the father asked. Not the son who was compliant in what they said, but never did the job. And that's what the religious leaders said. Well, the first son, of course. If the father asks you to do something, you do it. You don't just say you will. And in answering the question of which son did what the father wanted, the religious leaders condemn themselves. Look at how Jesus points this out. At the end of verse 31, Jesus says to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Now, tax collectors and prostitutes, if we had a phrase that would sum them up to the people at the time, it would be scum of the earth. The scum of the earth are going ahead of you. I say this because the tax collectors at the time were seen as traitors. They were Jewish people working for the Roman occupiers. And they were extortionate in their tax take, lining their own pockets at the expense of their own people. They were hated by everybody. And the prostitutes, well, they were sexually immoral. And they were avoided by every kind of upstanding person. These groups of people we're about as far away from the religious leaders as you can possibly get. And so this is a huge shock. How on earth can these kind of people enter God's kingdom ahead of these upstanding chief priests and elders? How? Well, in verse 32, Jesus shows us how. He says, for, so he's going to explain, for John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes did. As we've seen, John was this prophet from God who came and preached and lived righteously. He showed the way to God through repenting of sin, change of mind that leads to change of behavior, turning to God and following him. And the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they were sinners for sure. And like the first son in the story, they say to God, no, we're not going to obey you, we're going to do our own thing. And so they were acting like tax collectors and prostitutes do, refusing to obey God's word. But eventually, as they hear 
John the Baptist preached the way of righteousness about how God will accept them if they repent of their sin and turn and follow him. And later on, as we see him point to Jesus and then Jesus go and and spend time with tax collectors and prostitutes, eating with them, sharing life with them, having them follow him. Matthew himself was a tax collector, the writer of this gospel. They rejected God at first, but eventually they repent and believe and they enter God's kingdom. But the religious leaders, they did not believe John. Like the first son, they say to God, Oh yes, God, we'll obey you, of course. We follow the rules. We'll do whatever you say, God. They profess their allegiance to him. They called themselves God's servants and God's sons. They said all the right things. But when John comes and he preaches about their need also to repent of sin and turn to God and follow him, they did not back up their words of allegiance to God with actions of obedience to God's prophet that he had sent. They were like the second son. They needed to repent of their own sin, their sin of pride and of self-righteousness. But they didn't. God spoke through John and God speaks through Jesus. And although they're saying, yes, God, we'll obey you, when God speaks through those men, they refuse. And they even saw at the end of verse 32 how God's work through John changed the lives of the scum of the earth. These tax collectors and prostitutes who had lived such immoral lives were turning to God. And this amazing work had gone on. An obvious work of God, and they saw this, and they still refused to believe. Rather than believe and be amazed, they looked at these people and they said, how on earth can they follow God? You see, Jesus has God's authority. And with someone with God's authority, we know how to respond. In fact, the religious leaders knew how to respond, but they didn't. And there's a number of lessons for us here. For some of us, we may think that we are Christians just because we profess allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. We might think we're Christians because our families are Christians, or we live in a a Christian country, we think, or we've put our religion down as Christianity in the census. But we show that we are Christians by backing up our profession with lives that show that we follow Jesus as king. Don't be like the second son in the parable. Yes, God, but don't do it. The other way we can be like these religious leaders is that we can have a sense of we have made it. We can think that isn't God lucky to have me on, their, on his team? Isn't he lucky to have someone like me instead of all those tax collectors and prostitutes? But all of us need God's grace day by day by day. Never forget that you need God's salvation as much as anybody else.
Another lesson here is that the, the scum of the earth can enter God's kingdom if they turn from sin and follow Jesus Christ. Now perhaps there are things in your life that you are so deeply ashamed of that you think God could never accept me. God would never have a relationship with me if he, if he knew what I had done. But let me tell you, God does know what you've done. And God is willing to forgive all of our sins. Jesus' death on the cross for our sins pays for it all. And if you're willing to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ over your life, he'll forgive anything that you have done if you return to him. In fact, we see here that turning to Jesus is a a testimony to the world of what God does in people's lives. The religious leaders should have seen the salvation of tax collectors and prostitutes and repented themselves. Often, a person coming to faith in Jesus Christ leads to others coming to faith in Jesus Christ as well. Jesus is God's promised king with God's authority. You know how to respond. Repent and believe. Perhaps there's some of you this evening that have been listening and and still don't understand and maybe I haven't been clear enough. If that's you, then please feel free to contact us. We'd love to share more with you about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him as king. And as Christians, we respond to Jesus with worship. And we're going to do that now as we sing together, To God Be the Glory.
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Amen.